It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Hawks started the preseason practice round. That was down in Tassie against Collingwood. It was a high-scoring thriller. And then we had eight games that followed that. So a lot to take in. The Hawthorne coach is Sam Mitchell. Sam, great to have you on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jared. After your game, how much more footy did you take in? Uh, yeah, it was hard not to watch as many games as I could, really. There was certainly the start of every game looked quite interesting. And then, um, you know, a lot of them petered out and you get to a couple of plays and think, oh, they've got the queue in the rack now. What piqued your interest? Um, oh, just the way different teams are playing, trying to get, you know, aligned on, you know, we play um, a couple of teams with new coaches. So really trying to figure out game styles and what the trends are and, you know, how good they're good are going to be and what we need to do to, to knock them off and where they're going. Would you elaborate a little bit? What trends are you seeing? Um, I think, well, having Nathan Buckley on the contrary is always helpful because he's picking up a few things that you can't see when you're, when you're not there. But I think the, the, on kicking looks like it's coming into the game. Looks like there's a little bit more teams um, playing a little bit quicker, um, you know, with that certain style. A little bit less kick mark across a lot of the games. So um, interesting to see which way the the game goes. And um, you know, I watched the Melbourne game with interest. And I heard you speaking earlier that they're the the form team, and um, they do look, they look pretty sharp. What do you what do you think the standard looks like? How how high is it coming into the season? It's really. T- <laughs> I, I I don't know too much about the racing, but I did listen to it. I think you said that it was Winks um, that didn't trial too well. Uh, and I, you know, you always have a concern as a as a coach that if you do do okay, maybe there's been a Winks or two in your race, and you <laughs> and you think you're going a little bit further up the front than you than you thought. But I watched a couple of the teams, and certainly some some phases of play that were pretty strong across across those top sides. And I mean, we got a we got a first class touch of. Well, probably the forgotten team a little bit Geelong and you know they were far too sharp and, and strong for us the week before so you know there's plenty of plenty of work to do for the Hawks. What did you think of Thursday night? What did you get out of us? Um, oh, I think there were some positives out of the game where you know whether it be some individual players who just performed at a level that we really hoped for I think some of our um, potency around being able to score without winning the, the centre bounce battle was, was pleasing. I think we really struggled when we lost some bounces last year to get the ball back into our front half, so uh, that was that was probably one of the more pleasing aspects. And um, other than our finishing around goal, I thought our inside fifty stuff was was much much improved than last year. Did you? So you scored a hundred points, fourteen sixteen. Is did, did you? Well, there were obviously a lot of scoring shots in the game. It was thirty one to thirty. Did, did you like your potency up forward? Yeah, I thought we looked much. We looked quite dangerous up forward. We obviously had to change a few things with Mitch Lewis going out of there. So we've changed, you know, a couple of a couple of small aspects about our inside fifties and and Jacob Gizitsky, um, Despite you know he's having five shots on goal every week and and his goal kicking will get sorted out pretty quickly. So um, I think you know if we're getting that sort of potency from a from a key forward and then you got Fergus who who had five shots on goal as well as set up another couple. So I think those. Those tools are, are giving us a bit of a target. And then, you know, Luke Bruce and Chad Wingard and Dylan Moore and 
and Connor McDonald, those guys are, are giving us some good good speed and energy in the front half on the ground. It was impossible not to be caught by Cameron McKenzie and just how he played. Is what what did you make of your your, your top draft picks game? <laughs> I love I love watching uh, the draftees when they play, and we had a couple the week before who who were you know wow that's Patrick Dangerfield and wow that's Mark yes. Blitzavs and, and they and they played a little bit like that they actually forgot they were good at football themselves and and Cam McKenzie he's such a level headed young lad I don't think I've ever seen him excited or disappointed in anything that he's done he's just very very consistent in the way he goes about it. I don't think he would show any less effort if it was a a game, you know, a grand final or if it was a practice game. He just continues to play in the same way with the same demeanour, which um, I'm sure at some stage I'm going to find quite frustrating because I want something out of him. But at the moment, he's just performing. Every time he's played, he's played well. So, you know, really pleased with his performance so far. Is he ready for round one? (laughs) I'm not sure yet. We're, We're not into selection just yet. We obviously had a couple of guys missing or rested from that game. So um, it's going to be a squeeze. And I think every every club will be in this position, but perhaps we haven't haven't for a while, and that's having really good players who deserve a game, not getting one. Um, and, you know, there'll be a couple of unlucky lads in our squad in coming weeks. So is he emblematic, Sam, of, of how Hawthorne fans should be following the year, the fortunes of the, the young players who are coming in and the forecasting and what that might look like when the rise comes? Yeah, I, I mean, I think when you look at a guy like him, he's going to play some really good games and not just specifically speaking about him. Di Newcomb was a guy who did it last year and we look at his good games and think, wow, he's such an impressive young lad. But he has some quiet games in amongst them. And, you know, when you watch the, the best teams and the best players in the competition, their quiet games are still very, very strong. And that's where our challenge will be when our players individually or collectively have a game that wasn't at their best, are we still going to be capable? Because I think at our best we saw... Um, enough talent from enough of these young guys to say their best is going to be pretty strong, and we need to produce that as often as we can, and and limit the limit the risk when they're not at their best. The other part of the preseason, not just the the newbies uh, through the draft, is but those who have been brought into the club. Is have you liked the signs of Carl Amon, both in what you've seen privately and we've seen publicly? Yeah, Carl's been just fantastic. I think he's influence over the group. He's one of those guys that. Across the preseason, we did a lot of leadership education and um, training standards, behaviours, and all that. And he was he was never really the first name, but he was always in the top five in every category that we that we assess. So when you think about someone with the level of consistency, you know he's a great trainer. He's got a great work ethic. He's got you know really strong relationships. He helps with the coaches with game style and how we should go about different aspects of the game. So he's a really well rounded young man and we're really pleased that he's come on board and you know he was really disappointed I thought gee he had a pretty strong game started really well and did some really good things and he was just so disappointed with his own performance so he he holds himself to such a high standard which is really strong um, behavior that our young players need to need to start looking up to as well over the journey. Sam, in the preparation for your second season, is um, is there a difference? To, can you notice a difference from this time last year when you were whatever it is, 10, 12, 14 days away from uh, from having the team ready to go? Uh, yeah, I think I think there's always a little bit of nervousness in the in the air around how we're going to go and are we going to be okay and have we organised the pre-season well and are the players ready and all these questions. And not to say they're not there now, but there's at least a little bit of evidence to say that 
um, we've been here before and that we can um, perform with this type of preparation. I think, you know, every every club thinks they're in better place this year than last year, I suppose. But, you know, I certainly feel like our coaches are much more aligned on, on what we're trying to do and what we're trying to um, coach into our players and get into them. And I think the players have got a great understanding now of, of what we're trying to do. And it doesn't mean we'll always get everything right, but, um, you know, at least we'll understand when we get something wrong that it is wrong and we want to improve it for the next time, whereas it won't be quite as much education. So you are such an interesting case study in the the choices that you've made and how you've articulated that as you're looking to build the next great group. How do how will you measure success along the way, Sam? Is it is it in the wins and losses? Is it is it more uh, is it broader is it a broader contemplation than that? No, I mean I think it's quite difficult in the position we're in to be objective. I think. You know, we could we could lose a lot of games by close margins and perform really well, or we could, you know, play poorly and win a couple of games that perhaps we didn't deserve to. Um, so it's interesting that you know you always look at the ladder, and that's the easiest thing to look at. And I think for us, we'll be looking at win loss, of course, the same way every club will. But we have a bit more of a subjective view about how our players are developing, how our game style is working, how our predictability to each other is functioning. Um, and what we think the future can hold. So the good thing about us for this year is really every player on our list is is on our long-term journey now, and um, you know they're all going to be fighting each other for, for games, and that competitiveness amongst the players will be something that we'd want to see. And I think you know it's membership day today, so you know, our 80-plus thousand members, if they look from the stands and say that's a team that's putting in enormous amount of effort, and then, then that'll that'll make us all happy, I think. So, in that, Sam, how do you keep the standards high? How do you how do you find the elite standards whilst whilst developing on all those measures that that you've described there? Well, the the the, the thing that we have is some really elite talent and some elite players, and so really a lot of it comes down to those guys. So, watching the way James Sicily goes about it, watching the way Luke Bruce trains and reviews his games and and things like that, those guys are in a rush. And I think the thing about our group is they are all in a rush. And so when we when we look to drive the standards, no one's saying, oh, hang on, I've only played a handful of games. The only people saying that is maybe the coaches or, or some of the fans. But really, as players, they're saying, no, nah, I need to know. I need to know how to get better straight away. So they're willing to push the standards as hard as they're capable. And they'll be, no matter how well we go this year, unless it's a premiership, I'm sure every other team, 17 of us will finish disappointed at the end of the season that we weren't a little bit better. And um, our chance for our players is that that burning in the in the tummy that you you feel like you've underachieved. That needs to stay for a long period of time and build up over uh, an amount of years before you you've got enough fire in the belly for it to actually make a difference. So for those experienced players and what their journeys have been, do, do you have the, did you have that conversation with them across the off season as to I guess what their broad responsibilities are to, to drive that team and to be in a rush rather than uh, we, we've seen teams where older players are sort of left wondering what's left once uh, once a team is in re- redevelopment mode. No, I mean, I think possibly that may have been true a little bit last year with some players who you know I was really honest with and it was really difficult for them potentially to be better performers in that moment but not for our future to, to not be getting games. We don't really have any players like that now. I can't think of any decisions that we'll be making going into round one where we're going to have a, 
an option between youth and experience. We just play the player who's going to perform the best on this week. And that puts us in a little bit of a different position, I think, of our players who are who are with us now, uh, who are you know 27 or, or older. They've all been really bought into what we're trying to achieve. And fortunately, we've kept a lot of players who are ultra competitive. So guys like Sam Frost and Chad Wingard and Jarman Impey, players like that, have just got this enormous uh, desire for everyone to be better. And they hold themselves to such a high standard that that rubs off on some of the young guys and um, certainly they know part of their role is to coach and educate and drive the standards of our youth. Do you think your so your fans have been spoiled through their lifetimes? They've had those eras, so not just years of success, but eras of success. Do you think the, the Hawthorne faithful is, is acutely aware of, of what you've planned and how you're executing it? I think so. The feedback that I get, which is, um, you know, from our fans in the street or, or what you like is, you know, some of them are like, hurry up, let's get going, please. Um, and some are like, I know I know what we're doing, I know where we're going, and I think it's the right idea and it's a good plan. So, you know, I think I think to our, you know, 80,000 80, members that, you know, they all know what we're trying to achieve, that success at Hawthorne, you know, is, is premierships. It doesn't get measured in top fours or finals appearances. Hawthorne across its history is a, is a premiership team. So that's what we're looking to get back towards, and, Unfortunately, with all the equalisation measures of the AFL, there's no easy path to that. Um, Geelong have gone one way in topping up, and Sydney have had some advantages and have done a really good job with their their list. And we see Melbourne, you know, they've obviously been draft heavy over the years, and and we're looking now to build this group that we've got into the next premiership era for us. And for you personally, with with part of that is you've been such a winner your whole career. Do you uh, do you have to sort of um, so you're in a rush. Do, do, do you have to remind yourself to be patient along the way? <laughs> I'm not an overly patient no. person in general. So I do find you know sometimes you know we have a, a player like Denver Granger Brass, and sometimes he'll you know give away a silly free kick, and I get frustrated. And then I remember he's 20 years old and he's a key position defender, and you think how many how many strong key position defenders are playing good footy at 20 years old, and there aren't any. Um, so you, you always have to be a little bit patient, but not at the time, not when you're dealing with the players. You know, we know that for them, if they think they've got time, then that's the, the worst possible trait that they can have. Players need to be in a rush. And I think there's a famous Hawthorne quote that it's later than you think. And that's the attitude that we take, uh, famous John Kennedy quote. So we use that and, um, you know, it is later than we think for every player and for every coach and for every staff member that we have trying to get to where we want to go as quickly as we can. You know, we know we, should, we show some football that, that is capable of playing against the very best, but that's a little bit too too spaced out for competing yeah. fully with what Melbourne did on the weekend, for example. And do you have the sense, Sam, as you get close to a season that, that, that it's about to become overwhelming and that it sort of takes over every part of your, of your thinking and your life? <laughs> um, not really at the moment. You know, we've got our we've got a four day break at the moment, so I'm doing a bit of weeding in the garden, to be <laughs> honest, and try to. But I do find myself thinking about, oh, I better call this person or have a chat with them, and you know, I wonder if we played this guy in this position, would that work? And um, the brain's always ticking over, but I think that's just part and parcel of having any sort of passion in life that your brain doesn't really switch off. Sam, it's good to chat. The very best of luck for the for the season ahead. No worries. Thanks for having me, Joe. Good on you. Sam Mitchell, the Hawthorne coach. It is Hawks membership day. 
You can be part of the new breed of Hawk in 2023 and become a member today at hawks.team slash SEN. I feel like on Friday we all lived in fear of one of those low total chases at the end of a test match. And when Usman Khawaja went off the second ball, I wonder how many of us were thinking, oh, I've seen this before. Travis Head, though, was quite brilliant. It was a superb performance from Australia. So two Mondays ago, we were burning down the house of Australian cricket. I do hope there's the same level of enthusiasm to admire and praise what was done at Indoor. You're welcome to join our conversation as we go. one 736 I've been looking forward all weekend to having this chat with Robert Craddock. But before we get to what happened in cricket, we must acknowledge what transpired in Queensland yesterday. The new football team in the NRL is the Dolphins. You well know that Wayne Bennett is the coach. And if there's one man who could, against all expectation, it would be Bennett. And so it was. They were first up victors over the Sydney Roosters, 28 to 18. And here was the grizzled old wily genius at the end. Yeah, of course it compares. I mean, you know, the Broncos were game one. The Dolphins are game one. Uh, we played Manly that day. You know, no one gave us a chance. No one gave us a chance here much today. Yeah, it's, it's terribly significant. I mean, one of the most difficult things is to is to get that first win because it just settles everything down. And, um, so a loss here today would have put us under a hell of a lot more pressure and a loss back 36 years ago would have done exactly the same to the Broncos. Is that standard way for the Are you still looking for me? <laughs> hey? Well, I went to Cairns. You were looking for me, weren't you? <laughs> well, I'm not sure I want to answer your question, mate, because you haven't had the decency to wing me about it, so... Well, you made me a headline over it, but, you know, because you, 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 you were. well, no, because you didn't, you didn't bother to ask me where I was, and you went on your little trip and had your say. Well, you know, you can't just give it, mate, and not take it. <laughs> the give and take of a Wayne Bennett press conference that that's been a special category for a long time in rugby league, and it's it's right back in front of us. Robert Craddock was there. Hello to your crash. Yeah. Oh, you have to laugh. It has, Wayne hasn't changed for 40 years, and that was Travis May, my workmate. He's a terrific uh, journalist who, when Wayne Bennett didn't attend the North Queensland, uh, one of their trial matches in North Queensland, he wrote the story. He did text Wayne and say, Wayne, where are you? I'm trying to find out. And Wayne didn't reply. But, yes, he can be nulled, and they're always a bit of fun. He has a go at everyone. I, I remember once they were doing a story on the Broncos' game plan, and I said, I rang him up and said, can I just get you to talk through your game plan? He goes, what do you think, I'm an idiot or something? <laughs> <laughs> but but, but this, is the, this is the fun of the, the rugby league. It's a bushfire that burns every day, Jared, and these. But what a, what a performance. I mean, Wayne Bennett is 73 years old. He is two years younger than Kevin Sheedy. He's been coaching non-stop since the mid-70s. How can you possibly be handed a team at 450 days to get a team ready for the competition? And in the first round, you have beaten the oldest team in the competition who are 115 years old. It's extraordinary. It really is. You, but he gets teams, he relates to 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds. I don't know how he does it, Jared. I've got no idea. He's not on social media. He thinks Twitter's for the birds. Um, <laughs> and, and yet he relates and he gets inside people's souls. You know, it's it's incredible. I, Friday, I just went into a, someone at a coffee shop who said Friday night, this is just 
couple of nights ago, he was guest speaker at their school dinner. And I said, how was he? And they said, oh, loose as a goose. And they said, you, you've got the big game, son. They said, yeah, but I've done what I've done. I'm not sweating it. And he just relaxes between times. And I think the team relaxes with him. How unlikely was it, Crash, that they would win yesterday? Well, there were $7 chances, you know. But what he did do, Bennett, was he bought a team of old sweats. You know, guys like the magnificent Felice Cafusi from the Melbourne Storm, who was sort of in everyone's shadow at Melbourne Storm. He was the first player Bennett signed. And then there was a gap between the second. So he was ringing up Bennett saying, oh, mate, we're sweet. And Bennett was saying, oh, even not, mate, if it gets desperate, I'll pull on the gear, you know. And, and he was joking <laughs> to keep Felice relaxed. But they signed, a, a, you know, five forwards over 30 for a here and now team to hold their ground for the first couple of seasons. But it was a shock. It really was, honestly. But here's the thing, Jared, and, and I know a lot of AFL coaches listen to your show and if they said, is there anything to be taken out of it from a coaching perspective? All I, I don't know coaching, but all I can say is this. Phil Gould, the master coach, has the definitive quote on playing against when Wayne Bennett's teams. He said, I played against him for two decades, coached against him. He never once surprised me. There was never funky tactics. And he said, I knew exactly what I would get. They would be fit, they would defend well, and they would play for each other and there'd be no trick shots. And he said, and yet for all that, even though I knew everything was coming, I only beat him 50% of the time. Yes. I, I just couldn't get around him. And Trent Robinson said the same thing yesterday from the Roosters. He said, not one thing that happened surprised me, but we just got overwhelmed by their effort and their commitment. And even when there was a blue, they jumped in and supported each other. It was, Jared, the whole shape of Queensland Rugby League changed last night because... The Broncos, who have owned the territory since 1988, suddenly have a rival who are up in the saddle and they want their fans, their sponsors. It's, it's wonderful. It'll be, it's Port Adelaide v the Crows. That's what it is. Yeah, as, there's nothing quite like the, the new team winning first up. It, it happens from time to time. And it was uh, so I'd been, I, I'd read enough and seen enough to think, okay, so new team, but they're going to get walloped here. And then the further it went, you go, oh, no, this is happening. And well, this is happening. Jared, when you played your recording of Bennett there, when he said he compared it to the Broncos game, for people who don't know, the Broncos flogged Manly, I think it was 42 8 in their first game in 1988 when Bennett was coaching the Broncos. And both games, yesterday's defeat of the Roosters, were similar mindsets, as in the new team motivated beyond belief. This was their grand final. They wanted to make a statement. And the uh, highly ranked opponents coming into town, just, I'm not saying complacent, but I'm just saying not at the same motivational pitch. Yeah. Everyone had tipped them to win. They were five with the bookies. And they had nothing. They had no reason to hate that it's not a the, the local team. I mean, you know, they 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 hadn't know much about them. So they just weren't at the same level of desperation. It happened in 1988 with Manly. It happened yesterday with the Roosters. It's a study of the human psychology of sport. How you just float in. And they, it'd be fascinating to see how the Dolphins go this weekend at home against Canberra when they've got to get up again. Yep, yep. But they're underway. They're underway and they've got an identity. And Wayne Bennett has been that for them from the start. All right, our cricket conversation crash. I've been so looking forward to this. The lines are open because I am curious. There's a bit of a social study. 
You were all happy to ring in and burn the house down, but now that you've seen Australia win in the manner that they did, I wonder if you're as vocal today. one 736 the open line for EFS delivering simple freight solutions. So Australia was brilliant in indoor crash, and I think when it's all against you, so coming off bitter disappointments, the conditions contrived to further inflict pain and misery that's when you learn the worth of a team that's when you you realize its character there was nothing settled about the australian setup after delhi players in and players out but something happened within that group which tells you about the leadership the stoicism and the true character of it and they play outplayed india from the very first ball of that test match they did, and Jared, one of our greatest ever victories. I mean, let's go back to after the first over, where Australia had lost the toss. They were bowling. They'd won the previous eight tosses. They lost that one. They were bowling. Pat Cummins wasn't there. And in the first over, they had two reviews against Rohit Sharma, which would have dismissed him and didn't take him. It was misery. Honestly, I felt at that point they were 20 to 1 chances to win the test. And they won it. And there were so many great threads out of it. Like, But it just proved again to me the sadness of the fact that they snatched at it early yeah. and went there late and weren't prepared. And I remember Ian Healy said after the second test, in, in a typical heel sort of way, you know the thing that gets me? I reckon after this little break, we'll be ready to go now after two tests, two tests down. And that's what it was. They had some lovely, quiet time together. They knew Ashman and all his lines. They knew what Jadeja was bowling. And there is one uh, simple statement that must be made about this test. When India overcooked their spinning decks to the nth degree and make them complete nightmare lottery decks, that's when Australia is at their most dangerous. And if you're looking at footage of what's coming up in Ahmedabad on Thursday and you see a nightmare deck, have a little cheer for Australia because that, that suits them because anyone can get wickets. Like, uh, I don't say that dismissively, but it brings everyone into play. It's the in-between wickets that India crave, the one where their spinners have got a slight edge. But as Bharat Sundarajan has been saying to me for years, India's batsmen on savage turning decks do no better than a lot of other nations. They, they, if a ball turns and kicks, it turns and kicks, whether you're Rohit Sharma or whether you're, you know, a, a, a visitor. So, yeah, that brought the Aussies into play. Typically, the assessment of a pitch comes a couple of days later. I thought it was instructive that the ICC, who are not the most proactive sporting organisation in the world, couldn't... They, they were gagging to get... Chris Broad's quotes as the as the match referee out there and and publicise their rating of poor. Yeah, they were. But you know what? I, I've got to say, and Jared, you know the sentence that's coming, don't you? <laughs> I love dodgy dicks. Yes. And, and I just think, Broad probably had to say that. But I just ask people two questions when they bag it. A, did you watch it? B, did you enjoy it? And, you know, it was compelling cricket. I know it was, it was, but cricket, those decks will never destroy cricket. No, if test cricket lives for another 40 years or if it dies, it won't be because of decks like that, because it's action all the way. I've never seen, I walked into our newsroom when Australia needed 75 on the last morning 
Uh, and there was just people huddled around television sets and, and there was a collective groan when Usman Khawaja yes. went out. I mean, that's captivating cricket, you know? It is. And, and as Steve Smith noted, every ball is an event uh, yep. in India and in that sort of test match. And it is better than... So I remember we watched the first test in Pakistan, which went for five days. And if that was test cricket, it would be, it would be stone dead within a year. So if you've got the choice of one or the other... You will take the dodgy deck over the the pitch that simply won't allow a result, no matter how many days you play. But there is something there is something wrong with with the way that that presented in the first over, mm. um, and there's not really so in I, I I made the reference on Friday is or Thursday when you were watching the curator in the Indian tracksuit being led <laughs> up and down the pitch by the coach. I, I, I'd, I'd like to know his whereabouts today, the curator of indoor. I'd just like a little welfare check on him. Yeah, well, he prepared three decks and they actually picked one, didn't mm. they? But I was so pleased for Nathan Lyon to get a 10-wicket haul because, you know, and all these lovely stats that are coming out about him being one wicket behind Derek Underwood as the leading overseas spin bowler uh, in India. And it just reminded me, Jared, of uh, there was a terrific quote from Stuart Broad before the last Ashes. And, and he said, do you know what? He said, I'm sick and tired of us at team meetings saying, and then of course, Nathan Lyon, you know, Lyon bowls what he bowls, you know. No, 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 he doesn't. He's better than that. And we underrate him every series and he takes these 20 wickets at 29 and they make the difference. He said, we've got to start treating Lyon as an exquisitely good bowler, you know. And, and I just feel that Rohit Sharma at the end of the test said that he feels he's the, you know, best overseas bowler he's faced in India, which I thought was terrific. But there's no doubt Lyon, he just slips under people's guards, hasn't he? And to come up to a stage now where he's about to play his 100th test in a row, Wow, we! I mean, that's extraordinary. Since he was dropped for Ashton Agar ten years ago, I mean, that's a that's a heck of a stat. 